All right, if you don't mind, I'm going to speak from down here. We've got our kids in with us this morning, and I'm so glad our children can be in this service. I think it'll be special for them, but I want to be mindful of our time and uh, share some thoughts with you. If this is your first time to be here, I'm sorry to say that the sermon will not be the greatest sermon ever preached. Uh, that was last a few weeks ago. So we, we have been in the Sermon on the Mount and preaching through that, and it is the greatest sermon ever preached, not by me, but by Jesus. And so we've been talking about what he said and what it meant. It's been phenomenal. And we're going to pick that back up in January, but we're going to take a break. And for the next several weeks, going into Thanksgiving and to Christmas, do a series of study on generous living. We just got finished thinking of our global partners, how we can encourage them and giving toward these kids. And we've got Thanksgiving coming up. And Christmas coming up, and I thought it's, it's really important for us to have a right mindset, frame of mind, as we look forward to this season, to be thinking about it properly. And so I'd like to begin this morning by just setting the tone, and then we'll get into uh, the rest of our activities this morning, is that God is a generous God. And that really is the motive for everything that we do. If you think about this, God is so good. This is what I think we, we fail to see of all the attributes or characteristics of God that people talk about. He's holy and he's just and he's righteous and he's true. And, but God is good. Now that gets tested sometimes when we don't feel like he's good. We don't see it. And I understand that. But God is a generous God and pours out his generosity from the abundance of all of creation. God owns everything, and there is no limit to what he can give. But his son, Jesus, was also generous, and Jesus had nothing on earth. In fact, Jesus said the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man, Jesus, had nowhere to lay his head. And in other words, he, he was just kind of traveling with nothing. And he is the most generous person that's ever lived on the face of the earth. And when Jesus said to those who saw him, follow me, he also meant this is the way you live too. A lot of times we think, well, I don't have a lot of money or a lot of things or a lot of resources or a lot of knowledge. I don't have a lot of time. Uh, you probably have more in the physical sense than, than Jesus did. But Jesus, his generosity flowed from his heavenly Father to us. And your generosity to live, for you to live generously will flow from your heavenly Father and through his Son to everywhere you go. And this is the way we're called to live, to live generously. So this morning, what I'd like to do, this is a little different. Uh, I'm not going to preach a, a regular sermon, but I want, I'm going to read a text of Scripture. And uh, rather than have you turn in your Bibles, because usually, you know, or turn on your iPhone or your iPad or whatever else, um, because they're, they're probably... 
a hundred different English translations of the New Testament, and uh, so we're all reading a different one, but I'm going to have it on the screen here. I'm going to be reading uh, one sentence, one sentence, and it is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13, verse 3 to 14. Now you say, how can you have from all those verses be one sentence? Well, (laughs) it's just like the most amazing sentence. And what it describes is so awe-inspiring of God's goodness and generosity. And you're going to see as I read through this, uh, the mindset that Paul is saying we should have as believers all of the time. Now, remember, uh, if, uh, or if you don't know this, when Paul is writing this, he is writing from prison in Rome. And he is going to be eventually executed for his faith. So you talk about persecution. You know, he had been stoned. He had been beaten with rods. He, he had been imprisoned numerous times. This man suffered for his faith, but he had such a joyful spirit. How could he do that? Because he had an eternal perspective on life. And so he is writing this to believers who are in Greece, he's in Rome, he's writing to these in Ephesus, and he's telling them to be encouraged and to, to live this way, but it all flows from a generous God. I, I've shared this t- with many, many times, but I think the way that we see the world is affected by how we see God. If you have a flawed view of God, then you're not going to see anything else right. You won't see yourself right, you won't see anything right. And this passage describes God. So I'm going to read through it, say a few more words, and then we'll continue. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is his plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews 
who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now, you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. I think when I finished reading that, you know, I, I read this to my father-in-law a week, about a week before he passed away. He was 86, 87, what was he? 86. And he just tears coming down his face. And I thought, you, you, you step back from that, you think, wow. One sentence. <laughs> One sentence. God is good. God is generous. He's generous in what he's done for Christ. So here's what, here's my, uh, I don't typically as a teacher give assignments, but here's, here's what my assignment I would like to do. I would like for you to take that passage and, and over the next few weeks, just read it over and over and over. Uh, read it to your kids. Read it as a family. Read it as a couple. Read it when you have lunch break. Listen to it. If you've got U version, you can read this in about 30 different translations in the English. Uh, I, and then, and then in, if you have a Bible or a, or a journal, I just start writing things down. So notice things, see things. How does this apply to my life? What is God saying? What do, what's, what's he working in me? Through my Bible, I, I, sometimes I'll write a date, and I'll write a comment or something I'm learning I just kind of scribble all through in my Bible. I'll look up in a different translation. What, is that, what does that mean? What is that saying? And I think what's going to happen is that as we go into Thanksgiving and we go into Christmas, we can have just a great view of all of that and enjoy it more than any other year we've ever enjoyed. Because I think this Christ makes everything better. That's the way that he continues to work. So when you think about a generous God, and that's, so that's, my, that's my assignment to you. I didn't, I didn't say you had to memorize it, but I just read it regularly and say, what is he saying? What does that mean? How does that apply? How can I respond to that? And then next Sunday, I'll have a regular sermon toward this series and over the next number of weeks. So of all the things that God has blessed us with or given I think of this verse in 2 Corinthians 9.15, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What's the greatest gift God ever gave you? It's his, his son Jesus. And eternal life. It's the greatest gift of all the gifts. And we call this the good news or the gospel. You've heard that term used before, the gospel. It means literally just the good news. What is the good news? And I've shared this many times. Before we have uh, some testimonies at our baptism, 
I'd like to just take a moment to share this with you. That here's the good news. You can know for sure that you have eternal life. You can know for absolute 100% certain when you die, I have eternal life. You can know that. That's what the Bible teaches us. He says, I've written these things that you may know that you have eternal life. So the good news is this, that God, first of all, God loves you. He has known you and loved you from before you were born. He tells us that in his word. Not only does he love you intensely, he has a purpose for your life. And that purpose is that you be in heaven with him forever, part of his family. God wants you as a part of his family in heaven forever. So when you get old and die or die young, you have a home in heaven with him. But the problem is we're sinners. Now, you can look around and see a bunch of them in here. (laughs) Or you can go and look in a mirror and see another one. Some of our sinners are what we call really terrible, awful murderers. And and then we have some really religious sinners, too. (laughs) Self-righteous sinners. But the truth is, the Bible says, for all have sinned. And the problem is, we've all sinned, various sins, and we're going to (laughs) die. We're going to die because of our sins. And it is a physical death, which, duh, we know that's going to happen, but it, but it is, he's speaking of a spiritual death, a separation from God. And, and the problem is, every one of you, and, and, and me included, we are sinners, and there is nothing we can do ourselves to change that. No amount of going to church, being baptized, having Holy Communion, living a good life, keeping the Ten Commandments, Because nothing will erase the fact that you are a sinner and you're in your sins. So that's the problem. You and I are sinners and cannot save ourselves. But here's where God's love comes in. Is that He loved us so much, He rescued us. John 3.16, maybe the most familiar verse in all the Bible, for this is how God love the world. He gave His one and only Son that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. So, God loves you, wants you in heaven for eternity. That's His plan, part of His family. You're a sinner. You're unholy. He is holy. He solves the problem by God sending His Son into this world to die on a cross in your place, to die for you, for your sins. He took your place and died for you. (laughs) That's how much he loved you. I mean, how much love is that? And then he rose again from the dead three days later. Probably the most authenticated fact in, in history was his resurrection. And then he offers to you eternal life. Jesus has the power now because he paid for your sin, died for your sin, rose again, has the power to offer you eternal life. Now, you must receive that. He doesn't force it on anyone. He doesn't say, aha, wave a wand, you're all part of my family. No, he says, I'm offering this to you. 
I love you. I've died for you. I want you to be in heaven with me. Here it is. You must, by faith, accept that free gift. You're repenting of your sin. In other words, I'm turning from my sin and my religion and my anything I've trusted in to get to heaven. And I turn from that and I turn to trust Jesus alone for eternal life. That's what, that's what it is. It's turning and it is not just an intellectual faith because we could all say, well, I believe in God. I've always believed in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in, there's nothing I don't believe. I don't believe it all. It, it, it's not just an intellectual assent. Faith in Jesus is turning and saying, I believe and I put my faith in you as my Savior. I'm doing that today. And at that moment, your sins are gone. You're a child of God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Everything has changed forever. Now, you still live in a world full of problems, but everything is different. You say, well, how do I do that? How? I would really like to do that. People say, I would like to do that. How do I do it? And here's, here's what Paul said. He said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's how easy it is. Who, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So all you have to do is call on them. So a simple prayer. And you can pray this. Because this happens pretty much any time I do this. There's going to be someone out here that's going to say in my heart, this is what I'm praying. Okay, Lord, I, I'm not sure about eternal life. I'd like to be sure. Right now is the time to pray a prayer like this. So you pray this if you want to. No one's knowing what you're doing. Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I accept your free gift and I turn from my sin and put my faith in you alone today. Thank you. That's it. That's all. That's calling on the name of the Lord. That doesn't have to be exactly those words. Nothing more important you'll ever tell your kids, your husband, your wife, your parents, your friends, your neighbors than that. It's the greatest news ever told. And that's what we will share with you today. So I'd like to ask if, uh, and, and before I do this, baptism, um, what is baptism? Uh, that's, a, that's saying it's kind of inconvenient putting that tub of water out there and heating it up. It'd be a lot easier to be a Presbyterian today. In fact, I thought maybe that's how that started, Presbyterianism. And in all kindness and sincerity, I, I've, I've never seen in all of the pages of Scripture ever a, a baby being baptized. But I was baptized as a baby. I mean, a lot of you probably were too, but... It, I mean, it just became a religious tradition. But, but in the New Testament, the book of Acts, you constantly see people baptized by immersion, which is pretty inconvenient, wouldn't you admit? <laughs> but it is a picture. It is a picture. It is like saying, I have, put my, I have already put my faith and trust in Christ, so baptism doesn't save you. Baptism it doesn't make you any more closer to heaven. Salvation is done. 
But baptism is your first step of obedience for the Christian. It is your first step of obedience to identify publicly your confession of faith in Christ. You're saying, I'm a Christian. I'm putting my faith in Christ. And it's a picture. So when you go under the water, it's, you, you identify with his death, you're buried with Christ, and you're raised into newness of life and resurrection. And this is like declaring, I think, for other believers, it's like, <laughs> this, is, this is great. This is so exciting. And it's also a testimony to others that may still be searching that you're identifying with Christ. So that's what we'll be doing. We'll dismiss. We'll go outside. We'll gather around. We'll not stay out there long. But, so we'll do the testimony part before that. So I'm going to ask Everett and Easton and Dylan and Dan to come up here. We have four that will be sharing their story. I tell people this, that every story is different a little bit. And it has great power because it is your personal experience. A lot of people, if you walk into their house and you have a big Bible under your arm, they're going to want to turn and run. <laughs> but if you share your personal story, there's, there's, there's just a great opportunity for that.